Episode 37, How to Heal from Abuse and Become a Changemaker with Trauma Therapist Connie Lawrence. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you so you can live Life Amplified. Johnny Dinn Jr. once said, you're not responsible for anything that happens to you as a child, but you're 100% responsible for your own healing. Thank you so much for spending some time with me this week. This is going to be a serious topic that we're tackling. It could be a triggering topic for you, but it is so important because, you know, a lot of my work as a coach is helping people move forward to create a compelling future, to find that career in life you love. But one of the biggest obstacles that keeps people from crossing that bridge from the present into the future is unfortunately the past and more specifically the stories that we have told ourselves about the past. And that is why we've spent a lot of time recently talking about how do you heal old trauma? And trauma can come in a variety of different ways. I mean, it's traumatic to be in a soul-sucking job that you hate. Trauma can happen when we go through a breakup or a divorce. Trauma can happen just when we turn on the news and watch the headlines at night. But yet, there always seems to be some forms of trauma that really bring up feelings of guilt and shame for people. So we're talking about child abuse. We're talking about physical, emotional, sexual abuse. We're talking about domestic violence. We're talking about addiction, alcoholism, drug abuse within families. How do you begin to get past that? How do you let go of the chains of the past and really step forward into becoming the person that you're meant to be in this lifetime? And that's why I reached out to my dear friend, Connie Lawrence. I think she's going to help you find the first couple steps on your path today. Connie is a clinical social worker with a certification in psychodrama with the American Board of Examiners. She's the founder of the Cleveland Psychodrama Institute and developer of Recovery in Motion, an experiential therapy program that uses music, theater games, and community building activities to treat traumatized and addicted populations. Connie served as a trauma therapist at the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center, where she treated women, men, and childhood survivors of sexual assault. And she's currently working as a coach, offering training and coaching to therapists who want to enliven their practice through the use of psychodrama and expressive arts. There's so many amazing topics that we covered in this conversation, including how can unhealed trauma and abuse keep you from stepping fully into your life's purpose? We talked about the difference between guilt and shame. We discussed why the trauma we've endured is actually less important than what happens after the trauma. Connie tells us how to move from being a victim to a survivor and ultimately move into becoming a change maker. We'll discuss the importance of finding a community when it comes to healing and how you can find the help you need to move forward in your life. It's a very powerful conversation. You're going to love Connie's energy. And if you do find value in this episode, let us know you're listening. You can screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason, and you can find Connie at Connie Lawrence Coaching. Don't forget, you can also give us a follow on the iHeartRadio app if you're loving the content, or click subscribe on Apple or any podcast platform that you're listening to. Like I said, It's going to be a heavy topic this week, but it's so important. I hope this provides value for you. We're talking about how to heal from abuse this week on Life Amplified. Connie Lawrence, welcome to Life Amplified, my friend. 
Thank you, Dan. I'm so excited to be here with you. This is a conversation today that is a departure from a lot of what I generally do on this podcast. I mean, so much of my work as a coach and really what this podcast was founded on is helping people move forward in their life and how do you discover your purpose and how do you bring it to life. But one of the things that I think you can speak to really well is a lot of times we always face those roadblocks in front of us when it comes to taking the next level up in our life. And the roadblock Mm -hmm. can generally be the past. And the past is usually related to unhealed trauma that we've been through. And trauma comes in a variety of forms in a variety of different ways. But I'm curious from your perspective, how can it potentially stand in the way of somebody discovering their purpose and bringing it to life? Oh, I love, love, love this question, Dan. I think the easiest way to understand how unhealed trauma or abuse or wounds can get in your way is to kind of think of it like almost like you're walking through the world with a note somebody stuck on your back. You remember uh, somebody put kick me on something on your back and stick it to your back. So it's almost as if you walk through life with this invisible thing that you can't see, but it just happens. You keep having the same things happen. You can't figure out why. You fall in the same dark holes. The same kind of characters come forward. You can't just make a decision to stop. If you could, you would. But it's like you just kind of keep living in the same story. So when you start to do your work and you begin to really unpack, this is what happened and this is how it felt and this was who turned their back on me or whatever it is, something begins to shift. And then oftentimes those wounds, as we know, can then power you toward finding more meaning in ways that you can serve people, ways that you can prevent those things from happening to other people. It can kind of give you the horsepower to move forward in a new and different way. You know, one of the first conversations you and I had when we were talking about recording this podcast is, is there a certain level of abuse we want to focus on? And certainly there are dozens of different ways victimization and abuse happens in our culture. It can be physical abuse, domestic violence, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. I mean, we hear things like elder abuse, bullying mm-hmm. in schools. And one of the things I hear from people a lot of times is almost like we, we try to place a hierarchy on why one form of trauma is worse than the other. People will say, well, you know, every kid gets bullied. It's just supposed to toughen them up. You know, it shouldn't bother you if you got bullied as a kid. <laughs> right. or, or other people will say, well, you know, my old man, he drank too much and he was really loud and angry and we were really scared of him. Hey, but at least I never got hit or at least I never got molested. And it's almost like sometimes we try to justify why the abuse we went through wasn't so bad. But I'm curious from your perspective, from a medical perspective, when it comes to the brain, when it comes to our psychology, when it it comes to really just the body, does all the abuse register the same or are there really differences depending on what you've been through? People tend to very often compare as if just exactly like you're saying, well, this happened, this happened. I was yelled at all the time but it wasn't like this. And I really believe you really can't compare pain. Pain is pain, Uh, shame is shame. It's really hard to compare, at least on the surface, because this particular event, this auto accident may have landed in a certain way, depending on a lot of different things. It all depends on, for example, who was there with you? Who was not there? Mm. How did they respond? I always say, It's not really what happened to you. It's usually what happens next. Give me an example on that. 
So let's say you have a little girl and a little girl is uh, scolded by dad. And for some reason, it just cuts into bone for her, hits the right nerve. Maybe it feels terrifying combined with shaming or she feels like, oh my God, he's turned his back on me. Whatever it is, it's painful. And let's imagine then, you know, she gets sent to her room and there she is in a dark storm of horrible feelings. So imagine that what happens next is dad comes through the door and says, honey, I am so sorry. I really didn't mean to yell at you like that. I had a bad day. I was mad at my boss and I bet you're really hurt. I would never want you to feel that way or something like that. Together, wounds and trauma are best when they're metabolized by two people or more. So together, this begins to heal. She flowers and opens up and, and, and this gets better. But now let's create a second scenario where she's wounded, she's hurt, she's all alone. She's sent to her room and 10 minutes later, mom storms in and says, there you go again. You should never have done this. You're a bad kid. You deserve, you know, whatever mom says. That puts a hard crust on this wound. And so now it's gonna land very differently. Now she's been isolated and this wound can't really be properly you know, metabolized. And I always think of trauma, because it's hard to differentiate. What is wounding? What is hardship? What is trauma? What is you know, pain? And one of the things that I consider for trauma is it's like something is overwhelming and you just swallowed it whole. You can't really digest it. It gets stuck in your system. It replays over and over, and you can't metabolize it. This is a fascinating conversation. Obviously, in the last episode, we were talking about this before we taped today. I talked to Dave Sanderson, who went through a different form of trauma. It was a near-death experience with the plane crash in the Hudson River. He survived it. He didn't expect that he would. But for him, he was able to take that experience that would leave some people shell-shocked for years, and he was able to turn it into mm -hmm. post-traumatic growth. And for other people, they can go through a trauma in their life and find themselves living in post-traumatic stress. When we talk about healing from abuse, where does that journey even begin for people? Because, you know, mm. like you said, if we're replaying the incident over and over, both mentally or repeating it and reliving it through other relationships, for somebody listening today, what becomes that first step to move beyond being a victim? Let me back up a minute and say, you know, the field of psychology and the field of therapy is beginning to recognize a term that I so love called co-regulation. We used to think of self-regulation. So if you don't mind, I'm going to just back up another two steps. You know, we had the first century of our field was really based on the work of Freud. And a lot of that, the basic essence was you grow up you separate from your family, you become independent, autonomous individual, and that is strength. And that's what we're looking for is to become an individual. And in the past couple of decades, there's been a real kind of inching along in a different direction, which is, oh no, wait a minute, we're meant to live in a tribe. Mm. We work better in a tribe. Everything works better. Our immune system, our brain, our central nervous system, our digestion, 
everything works better when we are in touch with the people we love. Because we need to feel and, connection at a basic level. I mean, even a small baby who doesn't get that kinesthetic love after birth, it's called failure to thrive syndrome, right? Yes, exactly. That's how we operate. We operate in a tribe and a group and a clan, and we, we just do best when we are connected to other people. Everything works better. And so one of the things that, that you know, to your question, oftentimes when we are traumatized or wounded, underneath it is a sense that we don't belong. Hmm. It can start to trigger feelings of wanting to isolate and feeling like, oh, I'm different from everybody. There's something wrong with me. I don't really belong here. I'm not at home with these people. I'm different. That kind of feeling can follow us around in life. And we feel like nobody understands me. Nobody's been through this freaky thing I've been through. Yeah, other people's parents drink, but nobody's dad shot the dog yeah. or something. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like nobody had an uncle that, you know, did this in the closet. Nobody. Yeah, but I live with this kind of freaky life. That's the feeling that one gets when there's trauma is I don't fit in anymore. Is that the gateway to going down the shame cycle and really living in that shame identity? Yes, yes, yes. That's what I feel. In fact, one of the latest papers published by a woman named Judith Herman, a psychiatrist, in Boston, and she's a well-known, she's kind of one of the you know matriarchs of the trauma research field. Her most recent paper is that PTSD is a shame disorder. Mm. I just did a backflip when I saw that because that is what I really believe, that it really is about shame uh, and pulling us away from others who could be safe. And when we talk about shame, just for people who, you know, might be new to this world or they haven't worked with a therapist or a coach, shame, very different from guilt. And do you want to just yeah. explain that difference for people between feeling guilty and feeling shameful? Sure, absolutely. So guilt is just the icky feeling of, oh, shoot, I did something wrong. I don't feel good about this. And there's a tendency to want to repair it. Mm -hmm. The instinct is to make it better. So I did this, this terrible thing. I feel bad about it. Shame is often described as I am a bad person. It's, it's mm -hmm. me that's bad. And guilt is actually pretty adaptive. Guilt makes us want to repair. Shame does have a purpose, but it's a whole different feeling. And shame has a lot of different faces to it that most of us don't recognize. It's hard to recognize because we kind of think of, oh, I'm ashamed, I'm blushing, I feel bad that I came so late to the party, you know, or whatever. But it can be a whole cluster of traits that really kind of consume a person at the core. And so kind of what it can look like to be a very shame-prone person is, for example, always needing to be perfect. My house is perfect. I'm dressed perfectly. My earrings match my necklace. Everything is perfect. Then I'm okay. It can also be like explosive anger. Oftentimes, if you look at an, an anger explosion, underneath it was a real trigger of, of shame or embarrassment. Uh, there can be that sort of chronic feeling of not belonging anywhere, not knowing where I belong, feeling like a phony. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm a phony. I'm faking my way through. If they really knew me, they'd know I don't know what I'm doing. And there's a feeling of like, I'm just somehow defective. 
And for a lot of people who've experienced abuse, particularly early in childhood, sometimes they'll learn as an adaptive behavior to act that out in other ways, or they repeat Mm -hmm. that pattern of victimization where they gravitate toward the same relationships, seeking approval from the same emotionally unavailable people. And then that triggers the shame, right? Yes, absolutely. So it's just like we keep, yeah, just keep like spinning down the drain when we repeat the same patterns. Bingo. Gosh, Dan, you're just on top of this. I love it. (laughs) You can tell I've spent a lot of years on the therapist's couch, Connie. (laughs) (laughs) I've got no experience in any of this. I get it. Yes, no. Next time I'm interviewing you, you're just like right on this. Yeah, so addiction is a great example of getting caught in the shame cycle. If I were to name, you know, a couple more symptoms of shame, one of them is people oftentimes drink or use to feel lovable. It's kind of like, you know, I've got this buzz. Now I'm actually pretty or now I'm really, you know, whatever. If you look at the addictions field, there's a very high rate of shame proneness. So if we put this on a flow chart, it would be I'm victimized, I'm abused in some way, I find an addictive behavior, whatever that is, is a means to cope, but that addictive behavior causes problems for me either in my relationship or just my feelings on myself, which triggers more shame, which triggers me to continue the same behavior. Oh, bingo. There it is right there. We've talked here about this idea of if you're continuing to live in a victim cycle after abuse, big symptoms that I'm hearing you say is a tendency to isolate, to pull away from others, to keep people arm's length away because you feel unlovable. The other thing is to live in shame. And then number three is through behaviors, whether it be addiction or whatever other pattern, continuing to get into abusive relationships is reliving the trauma over and over, sometimes for decades or perhaps a lifetime. Yes. How does somebody get out of that, though? That can feel so overwhelming. How do you make that move out of the victim cycle? Great question. When you're living in pain and then you've got that crust on top of it of shame what you're looking for is relief that's why you drink that's why you gamble that's why you do whatever it's like get me out of this just even for you know five minutes i need relief from all of this what i see is to make the connections with other people who understand Mm. because you know i love brene brown's work i'm sure your listeners have tuned into brene brown what she says is Empathy is the medicine for shame. The most healing words in the English language are me too. And if you've read the AA big book, uh, you know, really at the right out of the gates, it says an alcoholic can help another alcoholic better than a non-alcoholic. And so all of the 12 steps are based on people finding other people who really, really get it. Yes. So when we find you know, a fellowship of people somewhere, whether we find a therapist who really knows the field, the beginning stage is somebody who understands. And I happen to love Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Yes. One of his seven is to be an empathic listener. He talks about deep listening, and he says one of my very favorite quotes. He said, you know, when you listen to people and you really understand them, you put yourself in their shoes, they will feel like you gave them oxygen. 
Love that. I love that the minute I heard it. I've just held on to that for years. It's so precious. And so what people have to begin to do is find people who really have walked in those shoes, people who understand. I myself am an adult child of alcoholics. And about 30 years ago, the ACA movement started. And for the rest of my life, I will remember the first walking into a room full of people who deeply understood what I had lived through. And I remember thinking, my God, they must have been looking in my bedroom window. Because if you grow up with alcoholic parents, you live through some crazy stuff. But having other people just name what you've lived through, and again, what you'll see that the theme that always runs through what I do is belonging. Because all of a sudden, you belong. You have a community of travelers, your homies, You have people who just get you right through and through to the bones. And there's that oxygen of feeling like, oh, my God, somebody finally understands. Finding a community, finding a tribe, whether it be through the 12-step program, a support group, or otherwise, requires somebody to come out of isolation, which means you have to take that first step out of shame. So that's really, from what I'm hearing you say, correct me if I'm wrong, that's really how you bridge the gap from going from victim to survivor. Yes, That's one of the things that needs to happen. And, you know, for some people, it's really hard to take that first step. You know, we live in a day when people might start to Google, for instance, gee, what's what are the symptoms of people who've been sexually assaulted? What are you know, we put a a toe in the water sometimes through the Internet. So maybe that's, you know, a place to get started. But at some point, the big step is to pick up the phone or schedule an appointment or just, you know, get yourself in the car and go to that meeting or whatever it is, because It's the action that starts the momentum. So tribe is everything. You have a beautiful story that you shared with me when we spoke a couple weeks ago about the power of tribe as it pertains to facilitating healing or advancing healing if you've been through abuse. Mm -hmm. Would you share that with my listeners? Oh, I love this story. Yes. So this comes from Dr. Peter Levine. Dr. Peter Levine is a giant in the trauma field. He is the developer of somatic experiencing, which is about unlocking the trauma that gets trapped in the body. So this is an unlikely story for Peter Levine because he works one-on-one and he works very kind of, if you will, kind of the microscope of finding where the trauma got stuck and then releasing it. In his, uh, this I think goes back several years when he was researching the freeze response. And your listeners I'm sure know what that is, but your nervous system, when we get overwhelmed, we can get, you know, fight and flight, we can get itchy and bitchy, we can start to pick fights. (laughs) Or when that doesn't work, our system shuts down and we get a sense of collapse. We feel like we've collapsed on the inside. We go numb, we can't think. Everybody kind of knows that, that freeze response. So he was interested in the freeze response and how to unlock that reaction and release the trauma. So he traveled to the ends of the earth, and the story goes that he he traveled to one of those super remote tribes, one of those, you know, three days by car, one day by foot, one of those kind of adventures. So he's sitting with the elder of the tribe. He's kind of arranged this meeting. And they're sitting under the big tree, and the uh, the tribal elder is playing a flute. And there's some instruments laid out there next to him. And Levine says, hey, you know, mind if I play? And the chief says, well, yeah, that's why they're there. So, the, so I love that they start the story by 
let's play together. So Levine asks him about this response, this trauma response, and the chief says, we view trauma as a tear in the fabric of the tribe. Trauma to one person is a tear in the fabric mm-hmm. of the tribe. It's a tear in the fabric of the tribe. The minute I heard that, I just fell in love. And it just kind of like, amen, that's what I see in working in the trauma field. I worked you know, a lot of years with survivors of rape and sexual assault. And it's like there's a tear in the fabric of the tribe. Anyway, the chief tells him a story about one of the tribe members who was pregnant with twins and this got complicated and so for some reason somehow she got transported to the closest facility let's let's just say hospital or medical center and they're stillborn and mm. so you know worst possible nightmare for anybody anytime and she is just uh, catatonic she's just in a in an absolute collapse state can't function at all and so the tribe goes and gets her uh, I don't know if they kidnap her, but they basically whisk her out of there, bring her home. And she's surrounded by this tribe. And the tribe says, look, we're not moving until she dances with us. And so they sat for the longest time and really could not get any response from her. She was just absolutely shut down and, and really dead on the inside from this horrific experience. Uh, but they don't give up. And at some point, she erupts with tears and the entire tribe wept with her. They just wept and held each other and held her until they could eventually begin to dance. Mm. And they didn't stop until she could fully dance with them. That is incredible. The power of community. It's a, the power of community. I just really strongly believe that we cannot metabolize trauma by ourselves. We can't digest it, it gets stuck inside of us. What we need is a community to help us. And that groups and tribes and even one-to-one is the way that we metabolize and we digest horrible things that happen. And eventually, Dan, they become a story. They become a legend. And to me, that's the difference because a, a trauma by itself will isolate people. But eventually, as we heal and in whatever ways we use, it spins itself into a legend. Incredible. Because I think, you know, tribes happen in a number of ways. It can happen in a 12-step program, a recovery group. It can happen in a family. But what we realize Mm -hmm. so often is that abuse and trauma sort of is passed down generationally in families. So there are so many families living in shame, so many families that don't really talk about what happened. They don't ever confront it. So we have those tears in the fabric, but nothing ever gets mended. This is just what I'm hearing you say, because people are so self-regulating rather than co-regulate. Oh, yeah, I like the way you put that. Yes, perfect. You've given us this beautiful illustration of going from victim to survivor in abuse. However, Mm -hmm. there's another level beyond survivor. Talk to us about that. The next layer to that is the change maker. Again, victim, survivor, change maker. And you can think of it, it's not always a straight line. When I worked in rape crisis, I could have somebody in my office who was recently assaulted, wobbly, shaky, jittery, sobbing. 
this person was clearly in the victim state of really raw, just kind of emotionally black and blue and all kinds of things. But they would say, I'm doing this because I don't want anybody else to suffer like this. And so that's when my heart lights up and I say, aha, the change maker is in there. So the way that I sometimes see this progress and the way I've experienced it in my own life, you know, through some traumas that I've been through is, okay, so this, you know, the victim stage, that's what we feel. It's a state of collapse. And it actually is our nervous system collapses. That's what the freeze response is Hmm. when we've been helpless. And very often we are helpless. We're kids. We're trapped in this with a crazy parent. You know, we don't have credit cards and driver's licenses. So in the victim stage, there can be that feeling of helplessness. And I just want to back up a minute, Dan, because everybody seems to kind of pick on this victim idea. And I want to just stand wholeheartedly with both arms around anybody who feels victimized. Of course. Because, damn it, you have been victimized. You've been outmanned, overpowered. Something has overwhelmed our nervous system, and it shuts down for a minute to let us survive. So it leaves us with the feeling of being helpless. So I just really have to say that and kind of go on record and say it's a necessary stage. And it's really, you can, I reframe it and say it's just the wounded stage. The other stage that emerges is the survivor. And that is where we begin to feel like we've gotten our legs underneath us. Mm -hmm. It's like we've gotten up from the bed or the chair or whatever, we can stand up for a minute and we can still be raw. We can still feel like it's been unfair. We can still be hurt, but we're on our feet in a sense. There's a sense of, okay, I did survive it. I am here. I'm still upset. I'm still mad. I'm still, but I'm here and I'm moving. And the change maker is the stage where we say, okay, now I'm going to move forward and make sure this doesn't happen to somebody else. And I'm going to contribute something. I'm going to help other people. I'm going to prevent this. And like the perfect example that we have today is the Parkland teenagers. Yes, absolutely. So we talked about, you know, first off, the victim needs to make safe connections. And that could be with a tribe. It could also be the way one-to-one with a therapist or a best friend or somebody who's been through something. But it's the beginning to connect. And one of the things that really helps is uh, creativity. Mm. Very often, teenagers are, like, incredibly creative. It's just the hallmark of teenagers. They're really inventive. They're really innovative and they're very creative. And if you look at the Parkland teenagers, they cycled very quickly from victim to survivors. And I don't even remember how long it was before they were out in front of cameras. They were out in the streets. They were making signs. I mean, these guys just rocked it. Yeah. And really, I guess what we're talking about through the lens of what this podcast is about, when you move from survivor to change maker is where you really use that pain that you experience to serve a bigger purpose in the world. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when I was uh, just making some notes, because we talked about this when you and I spoke, and I started to think of who comes to mind. One of the first people that comes to my mind is, do you remember John Walsh, who started the America's Most Wanted? Yeah, his son was murdered, abducted and murdered, and then he used that to go out and find other criminals. 
Exactly. There's a lot of stories like this if we just look around of people who were wounded and they just take the time they need. They have to heal and rest, and but the sooner they can begin to come forward and serve other people and be a soldier for the cause, it is the best medicine. It really is. It's about using that and then being in service of others is really what we're talking about at the change maker level, being able to help others through their pain. Absolutely. And there's a great story in the big book, in the AA big book, because, you know, Bill W., he, this is his story, right? He was what somebody might consider untreatable alcoholic. He was really there, but he was the guy who he and Dr. Bob really put the AA program together. But there's this great story about he worked diligently in the early days to recruit alcoholics, to talk with them, to help them. And he went through a spell of just one person after the other was relapsing. And he was talking about this with his wife, Lois, and he was so discouraged. And sh his wife looked over at him and said, yeah, but you're sober. Mm. Because the medicine for him was to be helping others. Yes. By the way, it's beautiful. I love that whole trajectory of victim, survivor, and then eventually a change maker. One of the things that mm -hmm. I think is a little bit controversial when you look at sort of like the spiritual woo-woo crowd versus traditional psychotherapy is this idea of forgiveness. And there are some people mm -hmm. in the spiritual world that says you never really can fully heal from abuse until you're able to forgive. Not that in the spiritual text sort of says it doesn't make the abuse that happened right. It doesn't let the person who abused you off the hook, but it allows you to take yourself off the hook through forgiveness of others. You know, that's nice in a self-help book, but can feel very <laughs> difficult and overwhelming in practical mm -hmm. application. What is your thought mm -hmm. on that? Is it pertains to the role of forgiveness if somebody has suffered any form of abuse in their life? I take a very neutral stance on forgiveness. I'm very careful. I don't promote it. But my belief is I really believe in organic forgiveness. By that, I mean, when you do your deep, deep healing work, Sometimes forgiveness happens just almost as a byproduct. Something shifts. What I don't like, Dan, is sometimes forgiveness is kind of a spiritual bypass. It's kind of like I'm just going to skate across the top of this thing and just go straight over to the forgiveness piece. And if I forgive, I don't have to feel the pain. Yeah, and I'll be a virtuous person. You know, who knows? That might work for other people. But... I'm just very cautious and careful with that. And I think it's more important to do the deep work. And when you do the deep work, you move the furniture around on the inside. Very often, it just happens naturally. So for the person out there who's looking for some additional support or some resources, you know, whether they're a victim looking to become a survivor, whether they're a survivor and they feel compelled to become a change maker, where's a good place for them to reach out? What's a good resource? It can depend on where they, uh, what their particular issue is. For a lot of things, I would say, you know, I, I do like some really great 12-step meetings these days. They've kind of become more differentiated into different things, like adult children of alcoholics has resurfaced in a new and, and better format. So if you've come from an alcoholic home, there's a certain footprint of signature of traits that we have 
that are kind of quirky, and it's nice to meet those people who are in that family. And there's even, you know, things like children of narcissistic parents. So there's some groups like that that might be good. I always think it's good to find a therapist who has a specialty if you feel like there's something unique about what you're suffering with. Because those therapists might also be connected to, they may run a professional group, a therapy group, or they might refer you. If it's a matter of sexual abuse in the past, I don't know about all rape crisis centers, but mine in here in Cleveland, probably 90% of the clients were not recent assaults. They were childhood assaults, or they were mm. earlier assaults. So people would call and say, I was uh, molested as a kid, and I'm, you know, 40 now. So we treated a lot of people who had a much earlier abuse. So those are just the top ones that really come to my mind. This has been an amazing conversation, super enlightening, and I'm so grateful to you being here on the podcast. If people are inspired and they want to reach out with any more questions to you, where can they find you online or on social media? They can find me on Facebook, Connie Lawrence Coaching. My website is ConnieLawrenceCoaching.com. Well, Connie, this has been amazing. I'm so grateful to you for being here. It's an important topic and I love the way it all still wraps around the idea of purpose that when you can you know move out of that victim mode become a survivor eventually you can use your pain to push you toward a bigger purpose and help serve others so I hope that that message resonates with people today and uh, I thank you so much for your time oh Dan thank you this has been a pleasure I've loved it thank you Hey, if you love that conversation, just let Connie and I know you're listening. You can just screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram, tag me at CSC Dan Mason, and you can find her at Connie Lawrence Coaching. Don't forget, you can also give us a follow on the iHeartRadio app, and you can also leave those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcast. Not for my own glory. I don't need the validation, but your ratings really help us with the algorithm and help us get this message out there to more people. If you're looking for a coach, to help you move forward in your life, get out of that soul-sucking job, discover your purpose, and create a career in life you love. I have a couple openings happening in the month of September in my private VIP coaching programs. You can apply right now at my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. It would be an honor to serve you and help you really ramp up and get a head start on your 2019 goals. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can get out there and live life amplified. I'll talk to you next time.